live with me, Greg. So I'm currently in New York. I am staying with Jackie and Lindsay in Brooklyn. Life is good. It's felt like a different experience in that this time I've been here and I'm observing New York with a more critical eye, more kind of thinking about, can I live here? Can I see myself here? Is this a restaurant that would be a regular restaurant for me? I'm kind of sizing up the city, for lack of a better word. And yeah, so far I am liking it. I think on the positive side, there's a lot to do. It's a very energetic city, which is nice. Yeah, the more I look into kind of what the music scene looks like here, the more it seems like it would be very easy to find people to make music with or kind of talk about music and stuff like that. So from the music side, I think New York would be a pretty strong move. I think on the downside, it's really loud. And I feel like everyone is low-key exhausted. It feels like even though none of my friends that are here have kids, it's as if everyone has a kid and they all have that new parent fatigue. Like no one is at their best. Everyone is struggling to stay awake. And it seems like this odd dichotomy where everyone is always tired, but you don't want to sleep because then you're going to miss out on stuff. I definitely noticed that as an energy that's here versus in San Francisco is the FOMO here is crazy. So number one, everyone is constantly overbooking their schedule. And it's like they have this grandiose vision of I'm going to go to this thing to get a drink and then I'm going to pop over here because my friends are getting dinner. And then I'm going to watch the basketball game at my buddy's apartment in Chelsea. And then after that, I'm going to East Village to just like my friends are having a kickback. And so they'll schedule like four or five things in a night. And it's kind of a lose-lose because either you don't actually do all those things and so you kind of come across as a flake, or you do do all those things and you're exhausted. So as a result, most people, I think, are just really flaky, which, man, I thought SF was flaky, but the number of times that I've heard somebody say, I'm supposed to be at this thing right now, and then like an hour later, they're still at the thing I'm at, is astounding. I'm interpreting it as people are fearful that if they just be honest and say, I'm already doing something, they're less likely to get invited in the future. So it makes more sense to just say yes to everything and then make up an excuse because that's what everyone else does. Also, consequently, because of this constant overbooking, everyone is late to everything. My perception is that if I was constantly 10 minutes late to everything, I would be considered one of the more punctual people. And instead of trying to get people to be more on time, what happens instead is people are more likely to plan things that don't require punctuality. So one thing that I notice is it seems like ordering in, like ordering like Uber Eats or DoorDash is much more common here because the restaurants won't sit you until your whole party is there. So you're better off just ordering food and having people come over because it's a pain to get everyone to actually show up for a 7.30 reservation. I think that would really annoy me. Kind of thinking through that. Yeah, Jackie has a friend. She's tried like four different times to hang out with her and it just like never happens. And so recently this friend texted Jackie and was like, oh, I've overbooked my calendar for the third weekend in a row. And the vibe I got from the way Jackie read the text was that the energy was you should feel bad for me that I 
am constantly having this predicament. And you should also be understanding that it's not that I don't want to hang out with you. It's that I'm just so booked. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of awareness around what this person is doing to constantly overbook. Because it just comes across like she's a terrible friend. And yeah, I feel that that is going to be something I'm going to deal with a lot here. It's funny because the more I get to understand New York culture, the more I understand the dichotomy between LA, SF, and New York. So I feel like those three cities have the most distinct personalities of people. And it's funny because all three cities accuse the other ones of being fake. But here's my take on what's happening. Everyone is kind of fake to an extent, but they're very different kinds of fake. I think we all can agree LA is the worst. That is kind of like a 360 fake. I'm going to lie about the people I know, how close I am to the people that I do know. I'm going to lie about how I'm doing and how happy I am. I'm going to lie about my ability to work my network to get opportunities. And I'm also going to be overly nice, but I'm going to talk shit about you behind your back. So LA feels like a 360 fake. New York also kind of lies about people you know, but not to the extent of LA. There is a lot of lying about events and availability. So the New York fake is more likely to commit to things that they have no intention of going to, is more likely to show excitement for plans and then never follow up. But I feel like the interactions are actually not very fake. That's kind of my perception there is once you have someone on the hook, you can kind of have a pretty good interaction with them, which I think is different than LA. Jackie just finished a meeting. Mm -hmm. So I'm discussing the different types of fake. I was saying how as I learn more about New York culture, I am now understanding more the dichotomy of LA fake versus SF fake versus New York fake. Mm. So what's your experience of New York fake? So I haven't really been to LA, but I think the people in different cities have different priorities. So like in New York, the priority is to appear busy and like that you have a lot going on and that you're like an individual that a lot of people want to meet and talk to. Whereas like LA people, their priority is to like be pretty. Yeah. And I think the other LA priority. Be popular. Yeah. It's to be viewed as someone that can help you. Oh, like be well connected. If I lived in LA and completely adopted LA culture, I would structure my life so that everyone felt like being close to me was the best ticket to 2Xing their career. Gotcha. And you're saying in New York, the goal is to appear busy. Yeah. To like seem like you have a lot going on. Gotcha. I'm not actually sure what the brand of SF fake is though. Is SF fake like tech culture fake? Like I'm like working on this startup, but it's like them working on the startup means just like them writing a doc or something. There definitely <laughs> is a fakeness around that. There definitely is fakeness around everyone's company is killing it. Mm. Everyone's crushing it. I don't know if you knew this, but every company in San Francisco, everyone's crushing it. Everyone's hitting their goals. Everyone's teams are super happy. So there's a lot of that bullshit. I think the other fake is, I think San Francisco fake, there's this vibe of superiority around SF people's views on social issues. Oh, like being woke. Yeah. Yeah. Like SF is super fake woke. I see. 
performative. Yeah, it's like, we have a homeless problem because we just care more. Like, no, that is not... I want to acknowledge (laughs) that this is, like, the ancestral home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This Indian tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we're on this ancestral home of the... I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we're we having this meeting in the ancestral lands of the Hopi tribe. This is colonially known as Airbnb headquarters, <laughs> but I prefer to call it <laughs> the land of the Hopi Indians. Yeah, like I only hear that shit in San Francisco. Yes, so. I think it starts in San Francisco. And actually, in a way, SF is the worst in that with the wokeness, you hope that they're being fake because it's actually a much sadder reality if they actually believe this bullshit. Really? Yeah. I would much rather somebody just be like, I'm virtue signaling. I want to come across like I care about homeless people and thus I support this city. I think it would be way worse if they actually thought that them being better people is why we have such a homeless problem. Cause that just feels like a complete detachment from reality. Oh, like, how can you believe that what we're doing is the right thing to do if we have so many homeless people in SF? Yeah, it's like crime is through the roof. Every negative factor is through the roof. And so if you truly believe that you're doing God's work, if you truly believe that this is the result of a quote-unquote better way to live, then you're an insane person. Okay. Yeah. So, but you still prefer SF to New York. Yeah, because that type of fake, I do not surround myself with in SF. Okay. But you feel like you can't escape the type of fake that is in New York? No. I think if I lived in LA, I would also escape that fake. Oh. I think it's just much harder. Like, I I think I have fewer friends in San Francisco because I don't subscribe to the mainstream bullshit. And I think in New York, it would be the same and LA would be the same. Oh, okay. So I'm more just comparing the different types of fake, not necessarily saying that like one's better or one's worse. Mm Mm-hmm. Although LA is clearly the worst. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> That's my fake analysis. Hot take. Yeah, fake, fake take. Fake takes. Oh, today, yeah, today was actually a really cool day. I invested in this space company. So space debris is becoming a much larger problem. At this point, more than 50% of the satellites in orbit are dead. Oh, okay. But so they're just, just trash. Yeah, it's just space trash. And there's this fear that if we keep doing this, eventually we won't be able to leave our atmosphere Mm -hmm. because there's just too much junk. Yeah. So a while ago, I invested in this company called Turian Space, and they are making a robot the size of a large microwave, and it flies around in space and attaches to space junk and then propels it downwards towards the Earth. And then lets it go, and then by putting it into a lower orbit, it eventually gets sucked into the Earth by gravity and then burns up in the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So it's like cleaning up space. How long does that take, though? Or do you have to like release multiple of these robots? So I believe their thinking is each robot can attach itself and propel a couple hundred pieces of space debris a month. And that will scale up as their tech gets better. And then once they propel it, it's about a 30 to 60 day process for it to descend and burn up. And how many pieces are being created per month? Unknown. That's a hard one because whenever there are collisions, that creates thousands of pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I understand it's a big problem. But yesterday, they launched their first satellite. Oh, cool. Yeah. So they've been spending. Yeah, they launched their first robot. So they've been spending the last three years building. 
and SpaceX had a launch last night. Wait, how does it know? Is it like, how does it direct itself? Uh, it has propulsion. Or like, is someone navigating the robot or is it just automatically navigating itself? It is automatically. So Turian Space is choosing a piece of space debris and then the robot is figuring out what it needs to do to like put itself on the same orbit to then attach to it. And then it knows like automatically go down to the atmosphere? Yeah, this is all the plan. I don't think a lot of this is currently built. I think this V1 droid, they call them droids. This V1 droid was mostly intended to test like navigation and sending and receiving instructions and stuff. But because they successfully launched, they just signed like a million dollar deal with NASA to remove space debris. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to like put a cool little satellite in atmosphere with having raised, I think they raised like $10 million, which Mm. is a really low number. Yeah, that's surprisingly low. It just goes to show what impact SpaceX is having, which is they've kind of figured out how to get things to space and now anyone can tag on to it. Because if you think about 20 years ago, this company probably would have had to raise a billion dollars to get this droid in the atmosphere. Because it just wasn't like common to have things go into space. Yeah, but I think SpaceX charged like a couple hundred grand to get it up there. Oh, like they're carrying the robot into yeah. space. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. They were on, so SpaceX had a launch yesterday um, and this company was one of the payloads, which I think is so cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah. So that's what SpaceX is doing these days, like doing commercial, like taking things up there. Yeah, it's a lot of what they're doing for sure. Hmm. Eventually there'll be people, but for now, yeah. So yeah, I just felt really proud of those guys. They've been working for so long and it's crazy because they've spent three years on this working like 100 hour weeks and if that spacex ship blew up their company's dead oh because there was only one robot yeah they, they don't have enough money for another one. Oh wow it was like down to the wire we're using our money to build this droid and then hopefully it works and then from that we can then sign these lois which then we use that money to keep funding when did you invest in them i invested in them mid 21 so it's been almost two years. Oh, okay. So yeah. like very early on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like one of their first checks. I just think like the space to be problem is an important thing. And so I wanted to, I would say probably half the investments I've made are stuff where I'm like, I don't know if this is going to be a big return, mm-hmm. but I really think this should exist. Yeah. So I don't really donate money. Oh yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the donation stuff, but when you invest, I guess there's like a calculation in your mind that is like, I think this should exist versus I actually think I'll make money off of this. What does the balance have to be for you to invest? Like if there was a company where you're like, I definitely think this should exist, but the way this company is run or like the founder or like they're just like incompetent, it's like a very low chance that you would actually make money off of this. Would you then still invest or like what is, yeah, what does if the I, number have to be? Yeah. If I don't like the team, I'm not investing. What I have done before is I've found companies that I think are really cool, but I thought the team was a complete train wreck. And then I went and found other companies doing the same thing with better teams and invested in those. Oh, okay. So yeah, what I was saying was I don't really donate money, but I kind of view a lot of my investments as donations because I think it's pretty unlikely that they provide a financial return. But I think it's really important to give money to these types of things so that they exist. Yeah. So yeah, if I had to guess, I would say 20% of my portfolio are things that I think are really important, but I'm less confident that I'm going to make any money off of it. 10% are, I don't actually think this should exist, but I like the founder and I think I'll make some money. And then 70% are a combination of, I think this should exist. I like the founder. I like the product and I think I'll make money. 
Okay. What is the what is the company where there is the biggest difference between you liking the founder and you thinking it should exist? What do you mean? If by you that? can name that. Sorry, can you describe that again? What company has the biggest gap between, like, say, you really, really like the founder, but the product itself is like something that you're like, okay, this is like whatever. Oh, oh, oh. Two companies that kind of answer this question. So the first one is a company called Miria. So Miria is a concierge service for experiences for rich people. So the founder of Miria is a super connector Mm -hmm. and has spent like 20 or 30 years in entertainment and so has an insane Rolodex of experienced people. You want to hike the Himalayas? He knows the best Sherpas. You want front row tickets to anything? He knows the stadium people. He knows the managers and agents. Like he can get those tickets. You want an insane cruise? He can get Rihanna's boat. So just imagine just from a leisure and enjoyment and experience perspective, the most well-connected person starts a company. Mm-hmm. And this is that company. So he basically has a membership program for ultra high net worth people. So it's 25 grand a year. You're a part of Miria. And you can just send a message to your concierge saying, I'm going to be in Toronto and I want to do something with a canoe. And they will go and like find and plan it and price it. And it's like all turnkey and say, I want to go on a three day safari. Great. They'll plan the entire thing. And they take a cut. Basically they like add on a percentage and that's how they make money, but they're handling everything for you. So I think this founder is so cool. Love this guy. Do I think this needs to exist? No. Do I think that the world is a better place because rich people can go from having incredible experiences to world-renowned elite experiences? No. But I really like this guy, so I did it. But rich people seem to be doing okay. Yeah. Pre-Miria. Mm-hmm. But that being said, there's a need, so, you know, what do you do? On the flip side is this company that is working on carbon extraction from air. So the technology is as such. A machine sucks in air from the atmosphere. It pulls out the carbon. It transfers the carbon to a liquid form and stores it in a tank and releases the air minus the carbon back into the atmosphere. So this is something that totally should exist. This is carbon sequestration. You can store tons of tanks underground that just have liquefied carbon. The founder is a terrible communicator. He doesn't send a lot of updates. He is kind of hard to get a hold of. And when you do get a hold of him, he doesn't really answer your questions because he's like a super smart scientist. He just kind of answers whatever question is happens to be on his mind. So you'll be like, all right, walk me through this. Where are we at now? And what do you think the timeline is to have a product where we can start to get carbon credits for, for the carbon sequestration? Well, right now, right now there's nothing. We are storing carbon, but then we immediately release it back because it's very small scale. We're storing grams. We need kilograms. Understood. What is the timeline, you think, to store kilograms? I mean, who knows the future, right? I can tell you what I think, but I don't know. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. I'll definitely be wrong. You know, I don't know what I'm going to have for dinner next week. Understood. (laughs) I'm not going to hold you to the specific day, but like, if you had to guess a month... So in this specific conversation, I finally was like, is it more likely going to be 2023 or 2024? And he goes, 2024. 
but who knows? God damn it. So yeah, that was that. But he's not a bad guy. He's just very frustrating to deal with. Yeah. And I, you couldn't find a company that does something comparable? Not really. There were companies that do stuff that's comparable, but specifically the way he was doing it, I think is better. So sucking carbon out of the atmosphere is a known technology. The problem is, is the way you do it requires a ton of energy. And storing carbon is a known technology. The problem is, is you either have these underground caverns and you inject all the carbon in there, or you have to put it in tanks and store the tanks, both of which are pretty expensive. So we actually know how to do this. We just don't know how to do it profitably and scalably. And he has a very different approach to this problem, which is why I invested in him. So, yeah. My little babies in space. Babies um, first space trash robot. True. Yeah, I think the last update is just about my surgery. Overall, I think it's been pretty successful. I'm about 90% healed. It's still a little blurry, but I can definitely tell that my vision is good. I think it's going to end up reverting back to where it was, which is kind of the best outcome. So, yeah, nice. I'm pretty happy about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know what I would have done without you. I had so many nights when I was so discouraged and in pain and stressed and sad. And I feel like especially you being on the East Coast and being ahead of me by three hours. There were a lot of nights when you were talking to me till like four in the morning your time. Yeah, I really appreciate you for doing that. Of course. Yeah. It was really nice to have your support. It's amazing what you can do when you don't feel like you're doing it alone. Hmm. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? Mm, I think the day of the surgery was a little nerve-wracking, but it ended up going pretty quickly, so it actually wasn't that stressful. I guess I felt like, oh, it's probably like the hardest day to do by yourself. So I remember like talking to some of my team members about it, and they were like, I was like, yeah, like I'm a little stressed because my boyfriend is doing surgery, and I'm like not with him and they're like yeah it makes sense that you're stressed so that made me feel better and then the recovery was like I could tell that it was hard for you which makes sense I think you were like surprised that the recovery was harder than the surgery itself yeah I was definitely expecting the opposite mm -hmm. I was kind of thinking that the surgery would suck but once it was done I was in the clear and the surgery was super easy and the recovery sucked yeah you never know yeah Life just doesn't really care what you expect to happen. <laughs> that's true. Actually, no one really cares. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. It's nice to put that behind me. Mm -hmm. I feel excited now to get started on music again and oh, re-engage cool. with that. I recorded a podcast with Ryan yesterday, mm -hmm. and he was giving me shit about not releasing music. Mm. And I told him that I'm going to release it soon, which I've been saying forever. So after being pushed on a timeline, I told Ryan that if I have not released my first song by the end of July, I will send him a nude of me and he can do whatever he wants with it. Wow. So believe you me, that song is getting pushed. <laughs> Accountability. Accountability, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. But if I do release it before July, then you have to send me a nude. Ryan Cow? No, 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 you, Jackie. That was, Wait, the, that was the agreement. I was not a part of this, though. I know, but, you know, I know you're supportive, so. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm definitely not sending Ryan a nude, so it looks like music will be released in the next six weeks. That's exciting. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's it. We're going to record a podcast next week mm-hmm. on, I guess, our relationship and life. So, yeah. Sounds yeah. good. Thanks for recording this life update. See you later. Space Thank you.